Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. I have to tell you real quick, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. And uh, um, when we started the church six years ago, I promise you I had none of those people in mind. I don't even know those people. But this last couple of years, they started coming to Renaissance. And these last few years, many of them began to surrender their own lives and their own way of doing this thing called living on planet Earth. And they surrendered to Jesus. Jesus became Lord and Savior. Every one of them declared that Jesus is their personal Lord and Savior, and they're devoting their lives to follow him for the rest of their lives. That's, an, that's a miracle, yes? These people were on the heart of God when we started this church. We didn't know that. We just thought we were going to do cool church, honestly, <laughs> right? And then God brings all these people in, and they fall in love with Jesus. And he transforms their lives. So it's incredible to watch that. We record these things, um, as Mary mentioned, because we do them off-site, and we want everyone to see that. There, there's three different services. They're identical. We did this at 9 o'clock. We're doing this one now. We're going to do it again at 6, and we want every person that comes through here to see that, that this is the hope of, of lives changed through Christ. They're confessing that they were dead unto their own sins. They are buried in the waters of baptism, and when they come up out of the waters, it is a picture of the resurrection of Christ within them. They are new creations, and they serve and follow Jesus from that point forward. Is this incredible or what? This is awesome. Yeah. Or not. It's up to you, right? <laughs> no, it's great. The real question, though, is, is this. Whose legs are wider, Joe's or mine? <laughs> That's pretty gross, right? We have this competition. Who can have the whitest feet in the middle of the summer? It'd probably me. So anyways, um, I, I wanted to share that with you, and then I want to share one other thing, and then I want to make way for the message. Um, I'm a child of the 70s. I'm dating myself a little bit. Um, I did not grow up in the racial strife that was the 60s. And uh, the school that I went to was filled with white people, black people. One of my best friends growing up in my neighborhood was a kid named Ahab. We called him the Arab, <laughs> right? He was Middle Eastern of descent. His parents were here working their way up in America, working a job here at one of the local factories. Um, I, 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 when I hear the, the racial strife that still continues in our world today, I oftentimes think it's just echoes or refrains from the previous generation. And I sort of just discount it. Like, we're past that in America, aren't we? And I think we're not, especially when we look at what happened in Charlottesville, Virginia last weekend. And we cannot be silent in some of this, this issue. Um, here's a couple things that I, I learned. I have to confess something to you. I do not swim in the pool of local or national news. I do not care, honestly. And people criticize me for that. And that's fine. I know this, that my, my life is filled with less fear when I don't watch the news. 
My blood pressure is woo, way lower when I don't watch the news. And yet all last week through social media and the, and the small news segments that I did see, I, I, was, I was shocked by the atrocities that I was seeing. And so even last night as I'm drifting off to sleep, I'm watching on YouTube videos, footage from people who were down on the streets when this car rammed through the, the, the protesters and killed a young girl named Heather. And I'm, I'm seeing the interviews of these neo-Nazi alt-right white nationalists, you know, professing their desire to have a, a nation unto themselves as, as white men and women. And I see all of this, and I can't help but be, we can't be silent in this issue as a church. We, you have to understand that, that all of those things that those people are asking for are antithetical to Scripture. They're antithetical to God and to Jesus Christ. They do not belong. To call themselves Christian it just shows their ignorance of who God is. Jesus in the Bible is called the hope of the nations. It's plural. These fools think they're building a nation, right? Because that's what God wants them to do. They do not even understand the scriptures that they, they profess. You cannot read your Bible from the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 for five minutes before you see that it was God's great plan to make man in his image, in his likeness. It says in Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, that he created man in his image, both male and female. This issue that we're facing is not a political issue. It's not a revisionist of history issue. It's an imago Dei issue. It's the image of God that all creatures... All mankind is built in the image of God. We must not allow racism, bigotry, or anything else to be motivated by the color of someone's skin. To do so is anti-Christ. This thing is diabolical in its origin. It's evil. It's of the devil. And it has no place in the church. And the church must say something about it. I'm, I'm terrified of you, to be truthful. I have a, a fear of man. I want people to like me at all costs. And in this issue, I typically keep my mouth shut. But something within me says, Jeff, you can't. We must speak out against the evil. I do not have the answers or for what ails this nation, but I do know someone who does. And it is Jesus. So, would you... Um, would you bow your heads and pray with me? I just want to pray for us. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you that you are a good God. And I thank you that you have sent um, Jesus, as we've already said, who is the hope of the nations, to help heal and restore what is broken. God, I ask um, that you help your church to weather these storms, to, to not be on the sidelines, but to interject the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, that all of this must point to Jesus. And that if we, have, if we hope to have any reconciliation here, it will be through Jesus Christ alone. Father, I pray for those affected by... Um, the bigotry and the racism that is rampant in our nation. I pray for those that are enduring the struggles down in Virginia and elsewhere, Lord. I know it's not just there. It's, it's even here in our community, Lord. Would you help us as we navigate through this? And we only pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to do one last thing before Joe shares with you. Um, next Sunday, we're starting a teaching series called Count Me In. 
And for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about the vision of the church, where we've been, where we're going, um, the purchase of these two buildings, and how we're going to remodel them and move forward. Listen, I want everyone to try to come to this. I want us all to squeeze in, sit <laughs> real tight next to each other so we can all hear where we think God is leading us. And secondarily, this Tuesday and the subsequent two Tuesdays, we're going to pray together as a church family as we move into this, this idea of where God is leading us. So we have these cards, just reminder cards, that tell you on Tuesday night at 6.30 here in the main room, we want to meet together and pray. And we want to listen to God's voice together to see um, how he would inspire us, right, and give us the faith to believe in his big vision to reach more people in our city for, with the truth and love of Jesus. That's what we want to do. So um, please consider coming um, to one of those Tuesday nights. Put this in the reminder spot in your house, like not under your front seat of your car, but like on, on the mirror in your bathroom where you brush your teeth. You brush your teeth, right? Yes, right. So, so use this as a reminder to come back and be with us on Tuesday. And that's all I have to say. Um, let's give Joe a round of applause here. Oh, stop. Stop. My name is Joe, and I'm also one of the leaders here at Renaissance. And something that we do every Sunday at this time is we open up the Bible and we study it together. If you've been with us for a while, you know that in February of last year, we started to study the book of Acts, and we've made our way almost to the end. But as Pastor Jeff just mentioned, next Sunday, we're beginning a series called Count Me In, and it's different than our study in the book of Acts. And this Count Me In series has been something that Pastor Jeff and the rest of the staff, the church council, We've been praying and considering for nearly a year. It could be one of the most important series that we've ever studied here together at Renaissance. And, and to, to prepare us or get us ready for that, we're stepping outside of the book of Acts today. And, and I'm not going to, to share any of the details that will be in Count Me In. But what I'm going to do is, is touch on this idea, this theme that we see woven throughout the Bible of anticipation, because that's where we are as a church. We're, we're anticipating something great, something new, something different, maybe even a little bit scary. And so what we'll do is look at a couple stories that, that talk about this feeling of anticipation for something that's coming the next day. But before we do that, I want us to understand that the Bible is full of many different themes, many different topics, many different ideas, all woven throughout the scriptures like threads to make this tapestry that shows us who God is. And every one of these themes points to one central, one primary theme. Can anyone guess what that primary theme of the Bible is? It's Jesus. You could say it louder than that. It's Jesus. Jesus is the primary theme of the Bible. And all of the sub-themes point back to Jesus. They find their origin and end in Jesus. These, these secondary themes are just like spokes in the wheel that is Jesus within the scriptures. And so whenever we, we read a topic or an idea or a theme that's in the Bible, we must continually remember that Jesus is the point of it, that Jesus is the end goal, that Jesus is the reason why we understand this thing. Now, what often happens to us, and it's easy to happen, is that we will 
We will take one of these ideas, one of these themes, and we will maybe even unwittingly divorce Christ from it and just chase that theme or that idea without Jesus being involved. For example, the idea of God's justice and how he desires that we too would live just lives and do just things to other people. And so what we can find ourselves doing is chasing social justice projects and social justice acts and doing things for the betterment of humanity. And all of these things are right and good and even commanded by God, but divorced or separated or dismembered from Jesus, we find that they're in the end empty and devoid of life because they only affect that which handles the here and now. They do nothing to alter a person's eternal destiny. Another example of a theme in the Bible that we can divorce from Christ is the theme of righteousness. We know and understand that God desires we would be righteous, that he desires that that we would live according to his ways and according to his laws. He's created us a certain way. He wrote the code, and so he knows how we should operate. And so he, he asks us or commands us to live a certain way. Now, what we can do is we can separate those commands from Jesus and turn it into self-righteousness, whereby we believe that we can prop ourselves up on our own good works, that we can prop ourselves up with our own good deeds and hope to please God. But we learn from the scriptures that none of us are truly righteous and we need Jesus. We need his help. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us to live according to God's commands. The Bible is full of many different themes and if we separate Jesus from any one of them, we can distort it at best and pervert it at worst. It's important and imperative that whenever we read the scriptures, we always look for the end of the story and it's always pointing to Jesus. Jesus, when confronted by a group of religious leaders during his day who, who gave their lives to the study of the Old Testament, who diligently searched it, to understand who God was, standing before them, he says, you search the scriptures because you want to find eternal life. And I'm telling you that the scriptures are talking about me. Jesus says, you want to find eternal life in the scriptures? It's standing right in front of you in a person. The central theme of the Bible is not an idea. It's a person, Jesus. So since we understand that, that, that we find Jesus in all of the themes of the Bible. Let's take a moment and talk about this idea of anticipation, of, of waiting for something coming, waiting for something new. Some of you sent your kids off to school this week. Now you're anticipating the joy that will come from having them at school. Some of you just went back to school or are going back to school this week, and you're anticipating the dread of what is coming then. Many of us are anticipating the dread of a Monday morning tomorrow. Many of you know that I was homeschooled for most of my life. I was not homeschooled, however, from kindergarten through fourth grade. And so I actually went to real school. And when, when I was in real school, quote unquote, um, Sunday night, my family would watch America's Funniest Home Videos with Bob Saget. I'm telling you how old I am at this point. 
And so we'd watch these. For those of you who aren't familiar with America's Funniest Home Videos with Bob Saget, it was like YouTube before there was YouTube on TV. People would take crazy videos of their families, mail these cassette tapes. There were these things called VHS tapes. You put them in, in this thing called a VCR. And, and they would mail them to Bob Saget. And Bob Saget would watch them with us on TV. And he would make voices and make fun of the people. And we watched that. My family did every Sunday night. And after America's Funniest Home Videos, it was time for me to go to bed. And so though all day long I'm anticipating Bob Saget and his funny voices, I'm also filled with a sense of dread and a pit in my stomach. To this day when I hear the theme song, you can go Google it and hear the theme song and it will be stuck in your head all day. When I hear the theme song, America, America, this is you. I'm not going to sing it. You wouldn't recognize it if I sang it. When I hear the theme song to this day, I get a pit in my stomach because I remember, I've got to go to school tomorrow. That was the feeling. I was telling Pastor Jeff that this week, and he said, you were that afraid of going to school? Were you bullied? And I said, why would you think I would be bullied, Jeff? And why are you all laughing at that right now? No, I wasn't bullied. I had friends. I just hated going to school. And so whenever I would hear that song, from America's Funniest Home Videos and the show is over and the one video got first place and they brought the family down and everybody cheered for them. I knew it's time for me to go to bed because tomorrow I have to wake up and go to school. So while I was anticipating watching America's Funniest Home Videos, I'm filled with dread at what's coming to me the next day. And I want to look in the scriptures in Genesis chapter 32, a story about a man named Jacob who is anticipating something that's coming to him tomorrow. See, what had happened to Jacob was he's in a moment in his life where he's going to meet his brother again tomorrow. But it's the first time he's seen his brother Esau in many years. The last time he saw Esau, Esau promised to kill him. And so when he knows he's going to be meeting his brother tomorrow. How many have a brother like that? When he knows he's going to be meeting his brother tomorrow, who when he sees him, the last time they met, Esau said, the next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. He's filled with a sense of dread. It has nothing to do with Bob Saget. It has everything to do with the fact that he may die tomorrow. And the reason for this was that this man, Jacob, whose name means Deceiver, what a wonderful name for your children. What, what should we put on the birth certificate? Mmm, deceiver. And so this is who he grows up to be. Without spending too much time talking about this idea because we don't have the time, back in those days, it was very important for Jewish males to receive a verbal blessing from their father before their father passed away. And typically, the oldest brother in the family, the oldest son, received the greater blessing. And Jacob and Esau were twins, but Esau came out of the womb first. So he's, in a sense, the older brother. And Jacob knows that his brother Esau is going to receive the bigger blessing from their father Isaac. And he won't have any of this. And so he devises a plan to disguise himself and trick his father, who is advanced in age, so advanced in age and so sick that he can no longer see. And so what Jacob does is he puts on a fur coat because his brother Esau was a really hairy guy. It's kind of a weird story. And he goes in to 
where Esau is laying, and he says, Father, will you bless me? It's your oldest, where Isaac is laying, and he says, Father, it's your oldest son, Esau. And Isaac says, well, you sound a lot like Jacob. Jacob says, no, 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 it's me. Feel my arms. Feel my hairy arms. Well, you sound like Jacob, but you've got hairy arms. You must be Esau. And so he believes the deceit from Jacob, and he blesses him as though he's Esau. Jacob goes happily on his way, and after that, Esau happens to come in. And he's decided that he too wants his father to bless him at this point, not knowing that Jacob just left. And so he goes before his father and says, Father, I want you to go ahead and give me my blessing as your oldest son. And he's like, what are you talking about? You were just here. Esau says, I wasn't just here. And the Bible says that Isaac was filled with fear. He trembled because he realized that the hairy boy who sounded like Jacob actually was Jacob and not Esau, and that he'd given away the blessing that belonged to Esau. And this fills Esau with rage, and he runs out. Jacob ran to his mom, because mom will protect him, he thinks. And Esau runs out and swears that after our father dies, and I'm through mourning his death, I'm going to kill you. So Jacob's mother, the wise woman that she was, says, you better get out of here. He's serious. <laughs> And so he packs up his things and he leaves and he goes to another land and meets a man named Laban who has a good-looking daughter that he eventually marries along with her sister. It was a different culture, different time. So he's got these two sister wives and he's here at this night where he knows he's going to meet his brother Jake Esau because after he went to move in with Laban. He began to deceive him as well. Laban had given him many flocks of cattle, and, and Jacob devised a plan to steal many of Laban's cattle and bring them into his land. So not only has he deceived his father and his brother, he's deceived now his father-in-law, who has kicked him out, and the only person Jacob has left in the world is his brother Esau, who the last time he saw him promised to kill him. With great fear, we read Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. We'll put the words up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible with you underneath the seat around you as a hardback black Bible, you can turn to page 27. We read in verse 22, The same night Jacob arose and took his two wives, his female servants, his eleven children, crossed a ford, and he took them and sent them across the stream. Everything else that he had, he's sending that ahead of him to show Esau, I'm not coming with men of war. I'm coming in peace with my, with my family and my cattle. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched Jacob's hip socket. Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. Dawn has arrived. Let me go. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Jacob. My name is Deceiver. And he said to Jacob, your name will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, which means he wrestles with God. Your name will no longer be Deceiver. Your name will now be he wrestles with God. For you have striven with God and men and have prevailed. Before we go any further, I want to take a moment and do what we always do at this time and, and pray. And ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand 
what the scriptures are saying to us so that we can so that we can learn with a clear mind and the help of the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? Lord, we we are so thankful for the Bible. We're thankful for the gift that it is to us to help us understand who Jesus is. I pray that you would teach us more about him today as we read it and study it. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would help us, that he would enlighten our minds to understand more about your son, Jesus. Lord, we love him and we, we hope and pray that at the end of the day, we'll love him even more. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's Jacob on the eve of a day where he believes he's going to die and he finds himself in the wilderness alone. And this guy appears from out of nowhere and starts wrestling with him. That's a weird camping trip. He's wrestling with this stranger all night long. And at some point he realizes there's something different about this man. Maybe he's not just a man. What if in fact this is an angel or God? And, and he wrestles with him and strives with him all night long so much so that at some point he realizes it's in fact God and he asks God to bless him. He asks God to speak a blessing over him, to, to give him some sense of a, approval through this meeting that he's had with him. Now, now, Jacob wrestling here with God all night long before the breaking of the day reminds me of another story in the New Testament about Jesus. There, there's something about the Old Testament that is important for us to understand, that, that many times we see characters and, and individuals and people in that that are symbols of Jesus. They're, they're symbols, we call them types, they're pictures of who Jesus would be, and their lives very often reflect the life that Jesus is going to live. And sometimes it looks very similar, and sometimes what we can do is look back at the person in the Old Testament and say, wow, they're so messed up. Jesus is the antithesis of that, and that's how they point to Jesus. Well, Jacob's story of him Spending all night long wrestling before God, wrestling with God on the eve of what he believes may be his death reminds me of a story when Jesus spent all night on his knees in prayer before God, the night before he was to be crucified. And he's wrestling with God, if you will, whether or not it's possible for him to have another way to save humanity. See, he had been telling his followers all along that at some point I'm going to go to Jerusalem and men are going to apprehend me. They're going to violently seize me and arrest me and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be nailed to a cross by the Roman authorities and I'm going to die and it will be for the sins of the world. He knew that this was what awaited him. And as he's wrestling before God in this garden outside the city of Jerusalem, he prays, Father, if it's at all possible, let's find another way. If there's another way to do it, let's do the other thing. And he finishes his prayer with, nevertheless, not, not what I desire, not what I want, but what you want. If there's another way, I do that thing. But if this is the only way, I'll do this thing. And so he, he willingly submits himself to God's will, knowing that on the other side of it, what he's anticipating is his certain death. This reminds me of the story 
of Jacob, of course, we see the similarities that they're, they're up all night, they're, they're wrestling with God in a sense, they're, they're expecting that the next day they're going to die. But I also see some contrasting things happening there as well between Jacob and Jesus. Jacob wrestling all night before God and, and striving with him and, and, and begging him almost and hoping to overcome him and desiring that he can prevail over God because if he does, God will owe him a blessing. It would be easy for us to inject ourselves into that story and consider that if Jacob wrestled with God all night, if he, he put himself before the Lord all night long, striving with God and God blessed him, it would be easy for us to put ourselves in the story and say, if we too were to do the same thing, then God would bless us. If we would only spend all night long in prayer, God would bless us. If we would only spend more energy serving him, then he would bless us. If we would only spend more doing the things that he wants us to do, then he would bless us just like he blessed Jacob. It would be easy for us to throw ourselves into that story and say, just as Jacob did, we too shall do. Were it not for Jesus, who's striving in the garden alone with God, who's, who's such distress that the book of Luke tells us he sweat great drops of blood, wrestling before God and striving with him and submitting to his will so much so that he willingly laid on a cross the next day so that we might receive a blessing from God. There's, there's nothing we can do. There's, there's no amount of work that we can put in that will earn us God's favor, that will earn us God's blessing. What we have has already been given to us freely because Jesus did what Jacob did and prevailed and wrestled with God and submitted himself to him. There's no striving left for us to do. How wonderful is it to know that in spite of my failures, and my sins, and the difficulties in life that come up and, and would cause me to veer from the path, how wonderful is it to know that Jesus gently brings me back onto the path, and I don't have to work hard at getting back into God's favor, because we already have it completely. It's already given to us immensely, and freely, and through nothing that you and I can do. We don't earn it. We don't earn a blessing like Jacob did. We can't beat God in a wrestling match. He's a billion and oh. He's got a better record than Conor McGregor. And a better right hook. We can't win. But Jesus, submitting himself to God, allowing himself to be pinned to the cross for our sins has purchased for us any blessing that we could need. What we often find is, is this idea that because God is a generous God and wants to give us good things and wants to, wants to bestow good things on humanity, we see that we too should be generous like him as well. And so we will give and we will expend ourselves, our time and our money, and we'll expect then that he should pay us back in some kind of blessing. 
And we take that idea that's in the scripture and we divorce Jesus from it, like we mentioned earlier, and we expect that he then should bless us because we've put in the hard work and we've done all the things, we've dotted the I's, we've crossed the T's, and now Jesus, God is going to bless me because I've done the thing. And it's a lie. God has already blessed us in Jesus. And now everything we do is out of thankfulness to him. It's out of praise to him. It's out of the joy we experience because of what he has done for us. We don't lift a finger to earn anything from him. Jesus has given it all. What more do we need? Except for Jesus. The story of Jesus' life goes on that he, as he's praying in this garden, he asked three of his closest friends to come with him, a man named Peter, a man named James, a man named John. And he asked them to stay up a little bit. You stay awake. I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to come back, and we'll talk about it. He does this three times. Each time he comes back, they're asleep. Great friends. He wakes them up at the end because he hears a band of men coming, one of whom was one of his followers previously, a man named Judas who had gone away that night to betray him, to tell the authorities where he was staying. And they bring, uh, he brings a group of men and says, we'll point out the one, we'll point out who Jesus is. They didn't know exactly who he was because they couldn't just look up Jesus Christ on Facebook and find a picture of him. So they had to know from this man, Judas, who'd spent time with him. He says, I'll go up and I'll greet him with a kiss. It was a Middle Eastern thing that they did back then. I'll go up and I'll greet him with a kiss and I'll let you know who Jesus is by the way I greet him. And he goes and meets Jesus in the garden and he gives him a kiss and calls him rabbi. And Jesus is real snarky and says, what are you doing here, buddy? Friend, what have you come for? And the men come and they come to arrest him and they've, they've, they've got a band with swords and sticks as though they're there to arrest a criminal. And Jesus says to them, you know, you guys, you guys have seen me in public for a really long time and you've had this warrant for a while, but why did you bring the SWAT team to get me in the middle of the night as though I'm some really evil criminal? What, what is the purpose of this? You could have taken me during the middle of the day and as he's saying this, this follower of his, his friend Peter, takes out a sword and cuts off the ear of one of the guys who's standing there. Kind of awesome. Makes up for falling asleep. (laughs) We learn that Jesus picked up the ear and put it back on the guy's head and, and he was healed from having his ear chopped off. And he told Peter, put your sword away, Peter. If you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. Don't you understand? I could call 12 legions of angels right now to come and rescue me. A legion was a Roman army unit that consisted of about 6,000 men. I could call over 70,000 angels and you think your measly sword is going to help? I'm in control here. You, you think they're prevailing over me? You think they're winning this fight? Peter, put your sword away. This is all part of the plan all along. And he allows them to arrest him. He allows them to come and take him. The Bible says that they laid hands on him and seized him and pulled him away. And I'm reminded then of another story in the Bible where Jesus had someone violently lay hands on him 
and sees him in the middle of the night. You see, the Bible is, is filled with moments in the Old Testament where Jesus appeared to people before he had come to earth as a baby, as a human, before he put on human flesh, before he was incarnate as a man, we call it. There are, there are pictures in the Old Testament of Christ coming to earth and appearing to people. And one of these moments where he appears to people, he's seized violently by someone in the middle of the night and held onto in hopes that they might squeeze something out of him. Do you know? Can you guess who this man was? It was Jacob. Jesus is wrestling with Jacob in the middle of the night. It's Jesus the whole time that, that it appears that Jacob's prevailing over. But do you really think Jacob is winning this match? Remember, he's a billion and oh, he can call over 70,000 angels to rescue him from this moment if Jacob's really prevailing over him. Do you think Jacob's in control? Jesus is in control the whole time. At any moment, he could call the match and it would be over. Friday night, the youth had a house party. And I showed up because I heard there would be hot dogs. And I had, I had three or four. And at the end of the evening, a bunch of the guys were hanging out on the front lawn. It was a big, soft yard. And they were kind of wrestling around. And some of them were like down on the ground grappling. And I'm like, bet, I'll get in there. I don't know why you're laughing. Like, and so I picked this guy who's about 150 pounds lighter than I am. And I'm like... I got this. So I go to pick him up over my shoulder, and all of a sudden he does this ninja thing and flips me down, and I'm on my back. <laughs> From out of nowhere. At any moment, Jesus could have put Jacob on his back. At any moment, Jesus calls the angels from heaven and rescues him from the garden so that he doesn't have to go to the cross. What we see in this is his great patience and desire to bless us. All because he wants us for himself. He doesn't need us. He didn't need Jacob. But what we learned from Jacob, whose name was Deceiver and was changed to Israel, the one who wrestles with God, we learned that this man Israel had children. And of these children, they had more children and more children. And we called those children the children of Israel. And so in God's blessing of Jacob in that wrestling match, it wasn't so Jacob could feel blessed. It was because Jacob was creating a pe God was creating a people for himself. Jesus in the garden telling God, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to give up. I won't let go of what you want me to do so that all people may be blessed. He's calling and creating a people for himself. This is what his plan is for all of us. Let us not mistake for any moment that as we are moving forward as a church, that we're, we're moving forward to build a bigger space for more people to come and we're expecting that more people will come. Let us not for a moment believe that it's for us, that it's for our own blessing, that it's for our own comfort, that it's for our own enjoyment, but understand fully that it's for the glory of God of God because he wants to call more people to himself. 
Those of us who believe in and follow Jesus have already been blessed by him. And so now our desire must be to seek that same blessing for others. And because we've been blessed by him, we now, we now get to do the same thing that Jesus did, which was willingly laid down for the sake of other people being blessed. For the sake of other people knowing the truth about who God is. And as we're anticipating this new thing, these, these changes with the church moving into a new space and, and the sacrifice and the, and the time and the hard work and the money that it's going to take, as we're anticipating that, it might be a little scary, and it is. It might feel a little dreadful. It might feel a little difficult, and it is. But Jesus went to a cross. Very often we find that that God gets things done by way of suffering and difficulty. Jesus is wounded. Jacob is wounded and limps. He, it, the Bible says that the angel or Jesus touched Jacob's hip socket and he went limping away after that. It might be difficult. It might be hard moving forward. But if we have received the blessing of knowing who Jesus is, then we too should be willing to partake in whatever difficult work he has ahead of us so that others may receive it as well. There's a couple of easy practical ways to do this. One is to just show up on Tuesday night at 6.30 and pray. Pray that, that we can all get the same focus on where God is taking us and leading us. Pray that we can all have the same mindset. Pray that God will speak to us. And another is to show up next Sunday for the Count Me In series. Go ahead and count yourself in now and plan to be here next week for that. The band is going to come back up and, and we'll have a few more moments to, to spend time together worshiping and praying. And I would ask during that time that you would, that you would pray and ask God how you can be a part of the the work that God is leading for us. Maybe it's just showing up to pray. Maybe it's just starting with coming here next week. But he's taking us to a new place and we need not be afraid of that. Would you pray with me? Lord, Lord, we love you. We, we thank you for the fact that you sent Jesus to this earth to, to endure suffering and and pain that he was willing to lay down his life for us. That he was willing to suffer for our sins. He was willing to submit to your will so that we might be called your people. Lord, I pray that that you would help us to understand that and that on on top of understanding it that you would give us a similar desire that others may be called your people as well. Let us, let us not give up. Let us not give in. But let us with Jesus say, whatever your will is, Lord, let it be done. We thank you for it. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicator.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.